Welcome to Jeff's World with Jeff Stein, the show where social, political, economic, spiritual, and philosophical discourse goes to live. Because in Jeff's World, we never give up the high moral ground, take no political divisioners, and fight until the bitterness ends. And now, here's your host, recovering hope addict and paid volunteer in the American experiment, Jeff Stein. How we doing, America? Huh? How you feeling? Can you see it? Do you see the poetic humanity that is emerging amongst this insanity? Do you feel the extreme powerful desire for answers and solutions that is increasing among our electorate? I mean, do you feel how we, the, the citizen patriots, are becoming the leaders we were looking for? Or... Uh, does it feel like there's about a week left in our fragile republic before we die in a 3.16 a.m. tweet storm? I don't know. Uh, no, I do know. It's, it's good. Uh, that 3.16 was a shout out to my biblical friends, by the way. You know, John. Uh, I am a radical idealist, people lover, Jeff Stein. And of course, I'm joined by radical humanist power to the people lover. That's right. Erica Ferriston. Glad believe, to be here. Yes, I believe she's fired and up and ready to go. That's a good combination, a radical idealist with a radical humanist. See? We're going to change the world, baby. And, that's right. And thanks, as always, to the pilot of our show, Juan Velasquez, uh, pulling the knobs from the flight deck. And of course, uh, Juan. Juan and Executive Brian for growing the show from his broad view in Jeff's World HQ. Uh, Jeff Hendricks still riding the treatment train to, re- to Remission City. <laughs> uh, he's <laughs> passing the Chemo Hill Station right now. We um, love you, Jeff. We do. I apologize if that uh, travel metaphor isn't exactly what the doctor ordered, but uh, I look forward to the celebration after the Hendrick uh, Surfliner is running strong again. So yes. we're, he's getting there. Today on the show, well, we're going to talk about our hurricane responses, uh, healthcare prognoses. Major League protests, Russians still bending social media trends towards chaos and division, and a little crystal balling on the Trump-fueled insurrection in these coming elections. But, you know, frankly, those are the topics which are the particulars in this moment in our era, as I've said, the greatest social, political, spiritual, cultural, economic, and technological renaissance in the history of mankind, which are, we are currently going through. People in a renaissance never know it <laughs> when it's happening. You kind of find out afterwards it just feels like chaos during a renaissance, uh, but that's when the growth happens. But those topics are, are the how and the when. Uh, But it is, uh, Eric and I would always say, it is the what and the why where we reach for and express, in this case, from our political soul. Oh, yes. Right? we got to reach for that. Give me some soul, babe. (laughs) And, you know, I like to think that, because why does political soul matter? Because how can you find meaning in your political discourse if you're not considering it through the lens of your perspective on the meaning of life itself? You know, mm-hmm. you know, you have to put it back through that. Otherwise, it just becomes about who wins. What do you want? Why do you want it? Who am I? Why am I here? And how can I serve that purpose? If that's not somewhere in your you know, premises, then you're going to lose sight of it and you're going to get into an ego based, fear based, you know, fight. Because this show, so do narcissists have souls? They, they, they <laughs> they're just well covered. They're they're embossed and engraved, and because we know and, some narcissists that are like, I'm here for me, yeah, all about me, yeah. to serve me at all costs. <laughs> In fact, one of them is pretending to be president right now. <laughs> 
<laughs> so you know where she stands on it. Uh, and this, again, this is where I think the show, our show here, digresses from other political shows. Most, we're not trying to be the typical revenge echo chamber bubble, you know, uh, like Puppy Monkey Baby, revenge echo chamber bubble. Um, <laughs> and so we call it a political soul. Because it's not about figuring out who is right or wrong, uh, but rather whether it moves us forward or backward. And I know what you're saying. I can hear you saying, but you say, what's your definition of forward? Well, it's the same definition as yours. Forward means the path of kindness, inspiration, love, purpose, authenticity, fulfillment, possibility. And backward is blame, revenge, scorekeeping, Desperation, ego. division, ego, tribalism, mm-hmm. which is a word that we've been saying on this show for some time. And I love that it's in the discourse now. People say tribalism all the time, it's which, true, I, right? which identifies what we it really move is. from tribalism to community. Yes. There you go. That's the difference between forward during backwards. You know, when people say, I don't like the word community. Well, okay, fine. You Because know, Obama was a community organizer. It's like, whatever. Use whatever <laughs> word you want. So is it like every word Obama's ever used right. they don't like? And there you go. That's that tribalism. We don't want to be that way on, on either side. Whatever, And we don't want to think that there are sides. We want to we agree that it's forwards or backwards. And uh, and again, when, when tensions are and fears are at their highest, and that is what's happening— you have to go back to the basics and you have to consider your perspective, you know, and if you're and here's an example. If, if you're yelling at someone about the way the world is like, it's da, 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 then something about the way you see the world scares you. That is the problem <laughs> is that you are scared and we are the problem and the solution. And uh, as you've heard me say, you can't be mean unless you've first been scared. And that's right. And so I don't know if you saw Wonder Woman. But I haven't yet. I'm dying to you from your recommendation alone. The the conclusion she arrives ah. at is that the humans are both the problem and the solution, and and she's going to bet on the good. I love the when good I of serendipitously quote action films. I know. I, I I can't. You know, James Cameron made a comment about. It. Did you see this? Because no. he kind of made us what they thought as a sexist comment because he felt like Gal Gadot was not representative. He compared more like a Linda Hamilton in uh, in uh, Terminator. He thought was a real woman hero, and the fact that there was still a sexuality. And of course, the females. Then the female director said, "Uh, we can do it all. We can be hot." And kick ass. Have you met Heidi Harmon, the that, mayor of San Luis Obispo? Y- you should, by she the way. She is one hot ass kicker. Yeah, yeah. She mentioned her because we've had her on the show, and she's also somebody that's so representative of this new era that we're talking about, who is who is framing things in are we going forward or backwards? She ran a positive campaign. She did. And she insisted if I have to win with negativity, then I don't want to win. I want to win because I'm going to lead people forward towards kindness and inspiration, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, this, this is a powerful time to be alive. And I'm feeling very lucky to be able to do this show because I feel like this is what's missing from the political discourse is people saying, OK, OK, OK. You know, what do I be doing this? What, what, what do we really want here? So one of the things uh, I want to also tease is um, I'm going to do a lot of segments from an Oprah focus group that was on 60 All Minutes. Right. And for those of you who saw it, you'll, you'll see what I mean. It, it was a, a powerful look. But I want to preface it first and say the folks that were chosen are probably some of the most emotionally raw on this emotionally raw edge. And so it is inflated. It is a little more intense than is probably uh, true of who we are. I don't know. Have you been to my family dinner? <laughs> no, I think you're right. <laughs> I think a lot of people are going to hear it and go, that's my family dinner. <laughs> and so that is the issue for sure. And uh, we will we will talk about that. And I think we'll relate to it. And then we're going to... 
peel back the fear and the division and find the desire and the shared uh, purpose in it when we get back and we return to this wonderful experiment, this political soul that we call Jeff's World. Thank you for joining this political discourse known as Jeff's World. We're all trying to search for our political soul. I'm Jeff Stein with Erica Ferriston and Juan Valeski has put it together. Executive Brian making it grow. Uh, Jeff Hendrick will be back someday. I hope, I hope, I hope soon. Um, so the this Oprah interview where he she decided to go on 60 Minutes and it's a it's part of their 50th year. It's a big deal. You don't need a lot of background on that. Uh, so she did a focus group. She sat down with... Frank Luntz, who I've not necessarily been a fan of because he's done a lot of push focus groups too, but you know, okay, I'll I'll, I'll, I'll table my judgment. But then, <laughs> did she have George Lakoff there? Exactly. No, that was kind she of, didn't. Right. So, but Frank Luntz is their paid CBS guy now, and so they inflate of him as this pioneer of, of of analysis and stuff. But one thing I will say about it, the only reason I preface with all that is that when they 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 assembled a bunch of people, did some focus grouping, and then they narrowed it down to fourteen, and they sat them around a table. Seven voted for Trump and seven didn't. Some voted for Hillary, some may have voted for somebody else. But seven for Trump, seven were against. And I can say in advance, again, they boiled it down to some of the more emotionally charged people. So this is going to be a little rawer than it probably is. And uh, here's an example of, of how it started out. I want to know from everyone around the table, how do you think Donald Trump is doing as president of the United States today? Tom? I love it. Every day, I love him more and more. Every single day. I still don't like his attacks, his Twitter attacks, if you will, um, on other politicians. I don't think that's appropriate. But at the same time, his actions speak louder than words, and I love what he's done to this country. <laughs> love it. Yes, Jennifer. I feel like he's horrible president, and he has divided our nation uh-huh. more than it has ever been. And then when he's on teleprompter, he's, he's saying, I mean, I... I'm like, that's great. That's great. That's a good message. But when he's off teleprompter, I feel uncomfortable. It makes me feel sick to my stomach. And I think that we look like we're a joke to all the foreign leaders. We are. Mm -hmm. are. It's an embarrassment. (laughs) So, (laughs) right? And I can hear, I don't know how you're feeling about that, but I hear that and people go, oh my God, how can you love that guy? Or uh, how can he make you sick? He's awesome. Right. Right. And, you know, and again, there's one, one more quick clip. This is this is an example of, uh, you know, one because they were saying, you know, why do you why do you like him uh, so, so much? Right. Here we, go. we wanted somebody to go in and flip tables. We're tired of the status quo as some people wanted on the other side. We were tired of that. In your mind, what table got flipped? Every time he does a, a rally or a tweet, he's speaking for people that are sitting at home in Iowa or Oklahoma, or Montana, that just want to say it that way. For years, we asked for a president who would just say it the way we do. We got that. Isn't that interesting? So, obviously, I did not watch this show, but, you know, does she drill down and say, say what? Yeah. What is it? Stop with the generalizations. Yeah. Tell me exactly what he's saying that you're claiming Iowans, Montanans, and Oklahomans. Oklahoma yeah. people are uh, yeah. glad that he's seeing. Yeah. And, and again, the uh, I mean, there's obviously a lot Is of it things. That, are, are these people sitting around and like, oh, thank God he said he's going to destroy North Korea and all the people in it? 
Right. Is it that? Right. Is it that, uh, you know, um, are they are they sitting around glad when he tells the cops, hey, when you've arrested somebody, rough them up. Yeah. Don't be gentle with them when you're putting them in. The, is that it? Yeah. Is it, uh, you know, are they happy that he's saying, you know, hey, you're you're an SOB? <laughs> right. I mean, what what exactly is it? Yeah. You know, uh, the first thing I, I want to peel back from those comments from both the lady who was sick to her stomach and the dude who couldn't be more excited about what he's saying. You can feel the emotional weight of it. Right. And this is the key part of why we're doing this is that. It feels, you could feel it's almost life or death for each of these folks. You know, they both feel as though well, there are Well, for people exist- in Puerto Rico, it is, it is life and death. Yeah, and right now, yeah. uh, they're not, it, our country's not, our, our mainland is not helping them with life, our government. Yeah, it's, it, it is. It be, when, when situations become existential, meaning your existence is on the line, uh, whether that means your physical existence or your existence as a, as a race or a people or a community or a locality or a, or a profession or any of these things. And I think that's one of the things that when these, these Trump supporters said, hey, I, I like him because he says the things I wanted to hear, which is um, he speaks to the existential threat because they feel as though things are dire. Uh, their existence is in, is, in, is, in, is in jeopardy, right? That's kind but of... But we right now, there are uh, people in Texas <laughs> in, um, that are in um, Cancer Alley right. where things have been flooded. They have, um, they're called Superfund sites. Right. Superfund site is where the land has become so toxic that you cannot uh, live, like you can't have any human beings or crops or anything there. It's happening right now in the aftermath. This is in Texas, yeah. and and these people are not getting help. So, so for somebody to feel that their way of life is being threatened right now, you have people where their physical lives are threatened. Yeah. Well, you you kind of illustrate the point, even though you're questioning the inconsistency of it which is that it's the perception that things are you're under threat or under dire circumstance. That's all that matters. It doesn't matter if you're actually under a threat. And so then it becomes a battle of whose threat is the biggest threat. Am I more threatened than you're more threatened? Am I the bigger victim than you're the bigger victim? And then if we battle that around, then we'll keep splitting as these folks did. Right. Let me, let me play one more clip from this thing, because they asked her. Well, I'll just play it for you. This is this is a fascinating thing that I think illustrates. Uh, that. People from this area are as divided as anywhere in the country, but they're known for their Midwestern manners and something locals call West Michigan nice. To me, it's a a trait we put to the test. Can you give me a word or a phrase describing your mind? The typical Trump voter. And mind you, before I play the rest of this, um, these are responses from the Trump voters themselves and from the people who didn't vote for Trump. So, and you can see the uh, the commonality. Oh dear. <laughs> I'm curious. Well, I'm I'm curious what I'm going to be accused of here. What's your word, Tim? I would say angry. Frustrated. Frustrated. I would say angry. Fed up. Fed up. Fed up. Forgotten. Misinformed. I say wounded. The typical Trump voter you think is wounded? I think is wounded. Yeah. Interesting. And they said it too. Mm -hmm. The Trump supporters were not only saying angry, fed up, 
wounded. They were greeting with the wounded, too. So this is the commonality between Both. Trump supporters and, yes. and people who don't support Trump. Yeah, people who are afraid of Trump. Because that's ultimately what we're talking about. For those who see him as the narcissistic, sexist, self-centered, oblivious, you know, man-child, and that's a lot of judgment, obviously, in that long diatribe of sentence. But if you see it that way, then that's scary. That scares the crap out of you. And you feel wounded because you feel like this guy is representative of everything that's wrong, right? Right. But I guess, you know... I hear you saying people feel wounded, but I, I keep trying to make people are being physically wounded. Like they're yeah. they're not just feeling it as a result of this administration. Yeah, I, I know, and but I would still say that the percept, the feeling of being wounded and being attacked is worse than actually being attacked, almost physically. Because yes, you, you you could you can go to the doctor and you can heal a wound and you might be able to get a new house. But if you feel like no, your these existence people is, can't go get a well, new they're house. not going to get a house. I know a lot this of these is... folks are completely screwed. <laughs> not to make light of it, but it doesn't get much worse than it is getting about there. Um, these well, you people keep... are you know getting sick and dying from this stuff. Yeah. Many of these people, they were, you know, some of these people in these areas had just paid off their mortgage. Yeah. They're not going to get a new house. Yeah. And, and again, it's, it's hard not to be absolute. And you can feel the, this, the, the frustration in the area. Well, I, I did, yeah, I do feel frustrated because it's not just like, oh, a bunch of people are feeling this way. Right. Like <laughs> there are people that are having dire economic health environmental consequences happening right now that's right as a result of you know deregulation administ- this administration not sending not adequately preparing i mean you know hurricanes are slow moving I you have know. plenty of time to prepare cuba evacuated a million people little tiny cuba yeah evacuated a million people how many people were moved out of harm's way? Now at the aftermath, you, you're you not seeing, uh, you know, our government come in to support these people who have been uh, dis- hurt, destroyed, some cases decimated. Yeah. So, again, this is a, a time when you first acknowledge what that, how crappy that feels that oh my god we've got this is just a is a horrible horrible injustice and there's lots of blame to go around i mean as you were talking 17 cuz i read the news obsessively and 17 different things queued up my head and in houston alone that were missed forgotten goofed legislated against that could have vastly improved this situation before and after but and, and right now like even I know you're going to talk about Puerto Rico later. No, it's we'll next. But right now, so there is something called the Jones Act, which does not allow any other ships besides U.S. vessels to come into Puerto Rico. So you have all these other Caribbean islands. You have all these other nations coming in and helping these these islands, these inhabitants of these islands that have been destroyed, and. None of them, they have offered their help to Puerto Rico, but because this administration has not lifted the restrictions of the Jones Act to let other foreign uh, ships come into Puerto Rico. Apparently they did for Florida and Houston, though. But right. okay, so. (laughs) But not But they are uh, not, they haven't lifted it. So 
you have all of these other countries that are there ready and able to help these people, which, by the way, are Americans. Yes, American citizens. Do not forget that. Puerto Ricans are American citizens. And a little fun fact. You're uh, born in Puerto Rico. You are an American citizen, full-blooded American citizen. These are American citizens. You have other countries out there waiting to help, ready to help, you, and all the U.S. has to do, all the Trump administration has to do, hey, it won't even cost us money. Like, th- let these other countries yeah. pay for it. It's just say, yeah, send your ships in. They 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 can't send in planes because the uh, communications at their yeah, tower controls they're down. The yeah. towers are down. So it's so uh, aid by air is incredibly limited. So the only way to come in is by ships. And do you know how many U.S. Navy ships have been sent into Puerto Rico? None. Yeah. So we're not we haven't sent in one U.S. ship, and we're not allowing other nations that are ready to help these people to come in. Yeah, so at the, ta- at the time of the tracking of this show, uh, the Chiron on CNN said that Trump administration is still weighing rather to lift the Jones Act for, to exempt the Jones Act to allow foreign vessels to port in Puerto Rico. I would, I would hope that by the end of this show that they have, in fact, w- lifted that and learn that lesson. But also one thing that came up, what you're referring to, is that uh, Hillary Clinton, annoyingly enough for those who don't like Hillary Clinton, uh, jumped into the discourse and said, well, why don't we let the U.S. hospital ship, uh, oh, I forgot the name of it. It's a Navy ship, right? Yeah, the Navy hospital ship, yeah. the Comfort, the Comfort, USS Comfort. And I think that's what it's called. And she said, why don't we let that in? And then Trump went, oh, okay, and deployed it, apparently. Now it's okay. But it's really kind of sad that to somebody outside of the administration, Hillary Clinton or otherwise, had to remind President Trump. Meanwhile, all five former presidents that are living, of course, teamed have been teaming up to help Puerto Rico. They're putting together funds and foundations and, and demonstrating. And so, yes, our frustration, uh, if you know or care about anything American, including Puerto Rico, that uh, with this administration is being met with patriotism. It, it, the, the other presidents, other people are stepping up. But Erica is right, and it's so maddening to watch the delay in this response while these people are, are sitting flat-footed. And it is it is not unique to that circumstance. When we come back, uh, I want to play a little clip from Fox News, who is even making the point to shame the, uh, the administration for not being on top of this. Because, you know, if you, there's, there's a particular uh, very famous uh, host, talent on Fox News, News, who happens to be Puerto Rican. And <laughs> and so he had a particular commentary, as well as folks like Lin-Manuel, uh, who wrote uh, Hamilton, is Puerto Rican. Mm-hmm. A lot of folks in New York are Puerto Rican. If you've ever been there, you'd know this. So when oh, we come yeah. back, we're going to talk about that aspect of it when we return to Jeff's World. Thank you for joining us on this little experiment called America. This is Jeff's World. I'm Jeff Stein with Erica Ferriston. Things are going down in Puerto Rico and on Fox News, too. I give you the great, or not so great, depending upon your opinion, Geraldo Rivera. My family is uh, is struggling like everyone else, Ainsley. It is, uh, you know, when civilization is tested the way Puerto Rican society has been tested with no uh, electrical power and no water, uh, you know, some awful things can happen behind me. Just to give you an idea of the absolute disruption of society here, those folks aren't in line for gas. They're in line to get money out of the ATM. The credit card system has been busted 
People cannot access their credit cards. Oh. They can only get to very selective ATMs to get their money. So aside from the lack of water and the lack of gasoline, there's also the lack of, of money, of cash to pay for it. Uh, the president last night finally addressing this, uh, this critical issue in a series of tweets. I'll read them. Texas and Florida are doing great, but Puerto Rico, which was already suffering from broken infrastructure and massive debt, is in deep trouble. Its old electrical grid, which was in terrible shape, was devastated. Much of the island destroyed with billions of dollars owed to Wall Street and the banks, which sadly must be dealt with. Food, water and medical are top priorities and and doing well. I don't I don't think they are doing well, with due respect to the president. And I think that what we need here in Puerto Rico is more compassion. I mean, everything is busted here. Uh, this gas station can't pump gas. That's a high rise. Puerto Rico famous for these condos near the uh, the ocean. That has no elevator. There's no oh. water. If you want to flush the toilet on the top floor, you got to walk up 20 stories to get a gallon of water in your commode to flush it. And the, the electrical grid, which they are saying needs to be repaired, it doesn't need to be repaired. It needs to be totally replaced. It is savage. The business uh, behind uh, behind us on the other side of the highway here absolutely uh, destroyed. Uh, the, I don't know when and how they can get that up and functioning again. But the main thing is water, food, compassion, and a massive rebuilding program. This isn't the time for blame. This is the time to help a fellow American citizen. Yeah, I give him credit. He called out the president for the, the BS of blaming the victims. Um, Unbelievable. And, and you know, I could uh, I, <laughs> I could tell you why he did it, because uh, Donald Trump is a fascinating guy to watch uh, in terms of, you know, a lesson on narcissism. And you can tell that, that somebody's been explained to him little fun facts about Puerto Rico that, oh, you know, they had this big infrastructure and this big debt problem. And because uh, it has been an issue for those who, who follow this, they are in debt. And Wall Street will not is trying to make Puerto Rico default. They're doing a Mitt Romney. They want Puerto Rico to go bankrupt. They, Wall Street is the vultures that are standing to personally gain profit. Yeah. Off of this situation. It's hard not to see it any way than that. Seth Meyers, I think, nailed it uh, when he said that, uh, you know, you were supposed to be the guy who was going to choose American citizens over Wall Street. And the first tweet about Puerto Rico you send is that they owe a ton of money to Wall Street and that's very bad and needs to be dealt with. Yeah. I mean, you favored Wall Street in the most dramatic way. But And this is no surprise yeah. to those of us who did not support Trump <laughs> because we never believed, you know, this is a billionaire who, uh, you know, these are his people. Yeah. I mean, look at his cabinet. Look at all the positions he's appointed. They are all billionaires. Um, they're all Wall Street. Yeah. His, you know, and so we're not surprised by this, but... I understand a lot of people who supported Trump, who believed him when he said, you know, he chooses Americans over Wall Street, Main Street over Wall Street. But he has not done one thing for Americans over Wall Street. And that is a perfect example. I think, too, it's really yeah. important to understand the dire situation that Puerto Ricans are in. You know, I that's a really good graphic example yeah. that Geraldo Rivera gave about, you know, living on the high rise and to flush your toilet. You, you have people trapped in these high rises. You know, the, the, the island is in the dark. 
Yeah. 80% of the island doesn't have water. And you can imagine how many medical devices require electricity. Exactly. You you have people that have, they can't get their medications. Yeah, if you saw the satellite photo, they show a satellite photo of Puerto Rico at night, during, before and after. And of course, the whole thing is lit up. It's got lights all over the, the, the whole you know shape of it. And then now it's got these little centers of light. And that's only where generators exist. I mean, they really, people will end up dying because they cannot get their medicines, because they cannot get the equipment that they need. I mean, it, Trump's got to move faster. This is going to make uh, Katrina look like a warm up. And these people were prepared for one or two days yeah. to go without, um, but not weeks. weeks. Yeah. And yeah. remember, they were devastated by two hurricanes. Yeah, that's at right. Their worst. It was it was near miss on the one, first one and then first one and the second one right down the middle. And remember that most of the folks from the US Virgin Islands uh, were evacuated to Puerto Rico. You know, and so that didn't work out either. And again, a little fun fact. American citizens, right? There are more American citizens in Puerto Rico than in North Dakota, Dakota, South Dakota and Alaska combined. Take the population of all three of those states is not as much as there are in Puerto Rico. And you go, oh, wow, that's kind of jarring, you know. Um, <laughs> we are learning. It is a hard lesson. And I'm hoping that, you know, this is what is required to, for people to see it. But in, I, I want to say one thing on the, um, you know, the, the Trump supporters not seeing it. That In that Oprah moment, you know, they talk about they wanted to flip the cart. They wanted to flip the table. And even when we see this, of them, uh, all those great arguments you just made that how can you be supportive of this guy? He was all billionaires and all corporate. They still look at it like, well, uh, better a corporate billionaire who talked like I talked than Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, or uh, Mitch McConnell, Paul Ryan, who all seem like corporate shills who were just going to perpetuate the system for the next you know 100 years. Now, I think that, of course, is a not, a, not a fair comparison, but... You know what I mean? They see it as like, I'm choosing between all corporatists, all Wall Streeters, and I chose one that was a little more squirrely, but might have gotten something done. Well, unfortunately, you know, Mnuchin, right from Goldman Sachs, he's got more Goldman Sachs people who, trust me, don't talk the way that, you know, they just don't understand. you talk. Yeah. And the, these are the people that are, you know, making these decisions because he's put them in these positions and it's it's all Wall Street. Yeah. So I understand, you know, the desire to not have the status quo, but you have to or you don't have to, I guess. <laughs> I always try to look at things for the facts that they are. Right. Um, and, you know, I, I can look at Democrats here in California and, and I can tell you they are uh, taking f- the same money from the from the. They're same... wrestling with their corporate tethers, like like all politicians but are exactly. I see that, and I call them out on that, and I hold them accountable. And I think that's what's so frustrating with Trump supporters is um, just no matter what. I mean, they they support Trump no matter what. Yeah. I don't support Democrats no matter what. I right. support Democrats. And Republicans, uh, if there are any that that do put Americans uh, before Wall Street, people above profit. Let me give you one more. One, uh, go, one no, last go. thing. I just want to say I really appreciate uh, you giving some time to Puerto Rico. Yeah. Um, because it's really, 
you know, not given the amount of attention it deserves on mainstream media. And I, I do hope that our listeners will, uh, you know, have some compassion and, and, you know, whatever that looks like, just spreading the word. If you can, if you can donate to support whatever it is you can do, but at least knowing what's happening to, you know, our fellow American citizens, um, right now. So thank you for giving this some attention. I give so much credit to overall. They were saying that what they need is aid and compassion. You know, need the world to, to care, <laughs> neither country, the rest of the country to care. And that's good, though, because Puerto Rico has kind of been this invisible part well, of our country. And we needed to we needed a wake up call. It's a horrible way to have a wake up call. Well, you do but, have countries that care. They're they're trying to bang yeah, on the door yeah. to to help the Puerto Ricans. But Trump won't let their ships in. And so um, how about Americans? We care about our fellow Americans. Yeah, you don't even have to, you know, reach out and feel bad about somebody overseas. This is us. This is us. And we need to care and do care. I know we do here on this show. So uh, when we come back, I want to get into a little more of that, a little more of the thing that explains these Trump, the the gap between the Trump supporters and the other supporters. This will all be a little political soul part of Jeff's world. This is Jeff's World, the purple state of mind with the amber airwaves of grain. Trying to reach for our political soul. I'm Jeff Stein with Erica Ferriston. Thanks, Juan Velasquez, for putting the show together. Executive Brian for making it grow. And um, we're talking about the divide between us all because uh, it's ugly. And now I like to think we're at the high water mark. And maybe I can sell you on that point as we continue through this dialogue, meaning the high water mark of like a maximum division. Uh, <laughs> Such a bad analogy after talking about a hurricane. Oh, thank you. You're right. Sometimes my euphemisms don't work. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But um, the Oprah thing, again, very fascinating. And I don't want to overemphasize it, but it, it was it is. This is the focus group of kind of where we are. Um, so let me give you a, another little taste of, of where Trump supporters are. And part of the reason why is because I gave the Republican establishment a chance. I gave Democratic establishment a chance. And can we please come together and at least give this president a chance? Because in my opinion, we're not. We've already have preconceived ideas of what he's he's like. Are they preconceived ideas or does he show us or tweet to us or demonstrate through right. his and can we- actions every day who he is? Can we give him a chance? So, you, first of all, let me dissect a little bit on, on what, why that woman would say that, okay? Because, again, and only if, for you to be angry about something or adamant about something or really strong about something, you have a personal attachment to it. You can't, if you don't care about it, you'd be like, whatever, don't give him a chance. <laughs> or if you were in a state of knowing, like you were confident that Donald Trump represented the truth and deep you know, greatness of who we were, then if somebody was critiquing him, you'd be like, whatever, dude, it's not it doesn't affect me. I don't care. You can, you know, like I loved Obama I, and he wasn't perfect. I could give you a list of things I thought he made mistakes on. But but I knew that he truly wanted to do well by people and earnestly listened and attempted to. And so if somebody came to me and said, you know, he's the most divisive president ever, which I would get all the time. I wouldn't try to argue with them because I have no stake in the, in, the, in, the, in the truth of that because I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid that that's not true. So this woman who says, give him a chance, what she's really saying is give me a chance. 
I chose to believe in this, what this man stood for. And I've been trying to find something to believe in. That's what she's trying to say. I went to Democrats. I went to Republicans. I'm trying to find something to believe in. I believe in this. Give him a chance. I've attached my uh, uh, rightness <laughs> to whether or not Trump is right. And so she's saying after eight months, because obviously Oprah is probably feeling what you're feeling, like, how can you still give him a chance? Don't we know what we have here? But see, I don't even understand that at all because he's president. <laughs> so it doesn't. What, what does that mean? Give him a chance. Right. He's president. Yeah. Well, I mean, he, he's not waiting on me to like give him a break. <laughs> give him a chance. He's doing it. <laughs> he's in charge. <laughs> Exactly. He's president. Yeah, what do you I mean know. give him a chance? Like are you yeah. saying like uh don't comment on his tweets? Yeah, don't attack is, him. Is, is that, that what, that what means, you're right? saying? Like um you know when he says something you know that's doesn't make any sense and you say you know it doesn't seem to make any sense. Like yeah. that's what you're really saying. Yeah. Is just applaud him at everything because what like give me like hey radio people give my show a chance to get on your network please right, right. like there's something there but if I'm already on the network right right th- there there's nothing to give me a chance for he's president yeah <laughs> and and you yeah. know I think Oprah made a valid point when she says we just have these preconceived notions okay well well first of all you know you have to have something to even have preconceived notions mm-hmm. and forgetting about preconceived notions. This man is tweeting every day. So, so I think really she is the one who is, if she is genuine, when she says, and I'm going to take her for her word that sure. she gave the Republican establishment a chance and they let her down. Right. I believe that. Yeah. I'm going to take her at her word that she gave Democrat establishment a chance and they let her down. Right. I believe that. Yeah. But so, you know, here she is with with Trump and and, you know, you you've got to accept that the facts are what the facts are. Yeah. Well, we talk about this a lot on the show. Curiosity over strength of conviction. And when somebody feels uncertain or victimized or attacked, they retreat into strength of conviction. And that's what this lady did. She basically said, well, no, I'm need to you need to give it's your fault. You need to give him a chance. It's like, well, then if you were actually curious about what's going on, if you if you if you informed yourself, right, with like you just pointed and saying, well, is he like the one thing that Ken Burns says, ask your evangelical friends, what about Donald Trump reminds you of Jesus? You know, it's like have some curiosity. And so I would I would ask this woman, I think Oprah kind of fell down on this a little bit, but she did a good job, is to say, well, what about him do you think we should give a chance on? What are the great things that you see he's doing that we're not seeing? Mm-hmm. You know, ask her to create some curiosity and some questions about instead of just being, you're attacking me for disliking him, so I'm going to defend it by saying it's your fault for not giving him a chance. And there we just go in a victim circle, right? Yeah, which is unfortunate. It's our fault he hasn't visited Puerto Rico and allowed right. aid into that American territory. So it continues. And let me, I think this next clip kind of explains the, the division. I want to hear your opinion, obviously, Erica, on, on the way this went down. So Can you talk about okay, it? Okay, let me just explain that I've been a Republican my whole life and I could not support Trump. My whole entire family supported Trump and I got persecuted by my own family. And they 
my dad especially. And so he was trying to force me to vote for him. Did you all stop speaking to each other for a while? For a while, mm-hmm. yeah. Because you voted for... Because I voted for Hillary. Mm-hmm. And it was a protest vote. You were protesting... I was protesting Trump. I have a 10-year-old and a 3-year-old, and it scares me every day what their future might be. Yeah. What's interesting is I think the same way that supporters voted for Trump, which you already talked about in the beginning of the show, you know, their fears for their children and, and themselves looking at how the establishment has left them behind and failed right. them. You know, th- this is the same thing that, um, you know, people who don't support Trump are feeling. Yeah. And and the reality is, is, is the American people are continuing to be left out and, and, uh, you know, um, left behind. I mean, th- these tax breaks for the wealthy yeah we're not going to get to taxes that, this show but oh my god wait because it's early too but what Trump they're rolling out right now oh rolling out gosh. that's horrible that's not going to help it's anybody mean. in coal miner country nope. get a job or, or opioid get, issues or anything none of that the the they call it a health care plan i call it a wealth care plan uh, <laughs> that's not going to help anybody get a better you know or, or higher quality health care it's not. In yeah. fact, it's taking away. I, so I, all you have to look at, like, you know, what's happening, the selling off yeah. of our national parks. That doesn't I mean, gosh, when you're in a don't make a lot of money, but maybe you can go take a family trip to, you know, a national park and enjoy some beauty. And I mean, you want to see an this, oil rig instead? This you does know. not the selling off of our national parks like, you know, Pence you know, uh, made his roads in Indiana toll roads that people have to pay for. And that's owned by an Australian company. That doesn't help. That doesn't help the plumber who has to get from point A to point B. That's just more money out of his pocket. So, and again, these are the points you can, you can hear that these are, I mean, it's the super valid stuff. So you say, well, why isn't this uh, supporter getting this? But listen to that woman. She's not ready. Well, yeah, we're all, uh, but the point is, is, the other lady who was mm-hmm. talking about how it makes her sick to her stomach mm-hmm. and she got choked up and emotional um, when she voted because she voted for Hillary because she was terrified. Mm-hmm. And so you say to yourself, why would a dad force or try to force his daughter to vote for a person? You have to, In order to be mean, you have to first be scared. So that means that, again, this dad presumably... This is where I want to try to get to forgiveness mm-hmm. because I want to be able to look at it and say, obviously, one of the issues is this dad of this woman mm-hmm. and the rest of this family who apparently persecuted her is so scared that they're willing to kick their own daughter out of the family for believing that what they're afraid of isn't what they should be afraid of. Because you just illustrated with your list of wonderful facts of what we really should be afraid of. And these folks are afraid of something totally different. And so... When you have two different sides, 10 different sides, obviously there's many different sides, many sides, many sides, that are all, <laughs> there's an appropriate use of it, by the way. Um, and They're all scared sides, though. If every one of those sides is based on fear, then we will not be able to talk to each other. That is what I'm you know, trying to get to, trying to get to on this show, is to say this is where we have to begin and end. And again, you know, of how to 
What? It's interesting. No, I just I know that we put out on Facebook that we're going to talk about, uh, you know, what is the difference between nationalism and patriotism? But even in that small example, um, the example of a father trying to force a daughter to vote uh, to, you know, you know, make her be so powerful that his will will be forced on his daughter yeah. and banishment. And by scaring her so much, by if, matching her fear with with his fear and trying to say, my fear is bigger than your fear, so you better do it or I'll destroy you. Right. I will banish you from the family, yeah. will not talk to you, you will be on your own or whatever it is. Um, so that's going to, that's a, that's an example of, you know, nationalism in 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 the microcosm of a family. Yeah, let me back up. Let me have Frank Luntz from that uh, back up what you just said. Conversations like what happened last night stopped happening in this country more than a year ago when it became dangerous to tell people in the so-called flyover states that you supported Hillary Clinton. When it became dangerous to tell people in New York or L.A. that you supported Donald Trump. They were afraid for their friendships. They were afraid at work. And so we've just stopped talking politics. Yeah. And that's a common story, you know, and that's, again, why I wanted to do this show is because this is what's needed. (laughs) We need to talk about it from a way that that it doesn't. Frank Luntz is an architect of using fear (laughs) and deception (laughs) to, uh, you know, to force uh, a will over an entire population. Now, I will take a slightly more forgiving tack only by saying that uh, in the past, uh, what she's referring to, Frank Luntz has been quite skilled at division politics. And so that's no why No child she's... left behind is Frank Luntz terminology. Uh, uh, the Clean Water Act. All the Frank anti-gay Clear stuff. Sky. All those... Po- yeah. that's, that's all yeah. Frank Luntz. He yeah. has personally contributed uh, much hate and great division. Yeah, when in division this when division was the popular tool uh, over the last number of decades, uh, he has definitely been a purveyor of it. And so now I am going to give him the room to evolve. Uh, this particular tone in which he did this with Oprah, I thought, okay. Maybe uh, Frank Luntz, and even if he isn't changing, maybe he's still the, the Prince of Darkness that <laughs> we're seeming to portray him as, um, then that will be revealed and he'll have to continue to learn his lesson. But at least some of the things he said in this, and at least in some of the endeavors here, uh, had a clear intent to try to heal or at least see how bad the wounds were, were are, rather than previous Frank Luntz, which would have said, ooh, wounds, let's see what we can exploit for the next election. And now he seems to be realizing that the wounds uh, are are not going to be <laughs> just win you elections. They're going to destroy our country if we don't uh, start publicly. Healing. Publicly, yeah. Again, I don't know uh, what he's paid to do. It's like a lawyer. You know, we watched. Um, remember when uh, at the at the Emmys when Sean Spicer did the joke and about uh, making the audience bigger and, and and he was exposing the lie of Donald Trump that, that about that he lied about Donald Trump's audience size at the inauguration and a lot of us got very upset about that like how can we support this liar who's going to now be famous and get speaking fees and get a you know uh, be and get a, he's got a Harvard fellowship because of his lying and i also say i give you one little analogy um, sometimes people are paid to do things that are unseemly. For instance, 
a public defender. A public defender will defend somebody that they know is guilty is all guilty, and they will try to give them the best trial. I take issue with that. I know. It's not a no, best no, comparison. No, 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 no. You're actually, first of all, uh, it's guaranteed in our Constitution has that everyone uh, has, you know, supposed to be quality defense. Yeah. A defender, it's not about uh, getting, quote unquote, guilty people off. It's about making sure there's, the state does their job in proving beyond a reasonable doubt. Right. And that is a worthy uh, profession. Yeah. And yeah. a worthy cause. So it's that's that's analogy absolutely does not apply. <laughs> <laughs> so we have a degree to disagree. So there you go. It's not the best analogy, but uh, uh, anyway. So Sean Spicer, not a popular person in this room. When we come back to Jeff's World, more on the Russia investigation. Welcome to Jeff's World and being part of our growing population. I'm Jeff Stein with Eric Ferriston. Juan Velasquez put the show. Thank you, sir. Over there, portion of buttons. So because <laughs> I'm not very good at it. Um, let's be honest. Uh, the uh, this again, we're looking at this Oprah thing where she talked to a folks group of 14 um, uh, different voters, seven of which were Trump supporters, seven were not, and they particularly assembled a very emotionally. Uh, high uh, <laughs> group and that's good because then we can see the roughest edge of it and try to decipher through it and then it really got going which I'm going to go ahead and do this when we talked about uh, Charlottesville. Now what's wrong with that? I agree with that. Oh my Many gosh. sides did not kill that woman. I think they're, they're, both wrong. Wrong. they're all wrong. They're both wrong. He messed up. He did not mess up. I got a question. He was absolutely correct. correct. He was absolutely correct. That's correct. The, the KKK wasn't fighting with the KKK. Okay. There were two groups. Okay. okay. I'm, I'm not hearing what you're saying. Go ahead. He, he never said there was equivalence, okay? It was the media. You condemn both of them. Okay. So when you heard him say that there were both sides and there were many sides, when you well, heard him use that both, phrase... I saw both groups of people fighting. I saw, mm -hmm. actually, I didn't see any African-American there. I saw two groups of white guys fighting each other. Mm -hmm. And I'm going, okay, he is denouncing all hate, all racism. And all that's violence. What, and that's all what violence. you saw. That's and what I saw. That's what you saw. That's, that's what you saw. Absolutely. That's what you saw. Does the president's response say anything to you about his moral leadership? Uh, yeah. yeah. Yes. If we don't fight hate speech, it's a slippery slope to hate crimes. What does it say going out there and saying blood and soil and Jews will not replace us, carrying torches and reenacting the horrible images of the KKK and pre-civil rights? I fully support that one side was coming up against, boldly coming up against hate speech and hate crimes. So to, they're coming up to fight the First Amendment. You're okay with that? I don't think this is coming when you show up to fight helmets, the First Amendment. The first and and it is the First Amendment. What don't you understand? The First Amendment protects all speech, whether you like it or not. There needs to be a limitation on freedom of speech. If it incites hate, you can just say, oh, the problem. If you're going to put a limitation on freedom of speech, is that freedom of speech? And you can see it kind of descended from there. But... Um, well, yeah. Remember when when we went to fight, um, you know, hate and all of these things in World War Two. I mean, that was very American. We called them World War Two soldiers. They confronted Nazis. They yeah. went overseas to fight Nazis to stop them from uh, all that they were doing to Jews and gay people and Catholics and um, so it's it's funny because then they're called, you know, World War Two heroes. But, um, you know, when people stand up to hate speech here, the, the same people, you know, 
don't seem to see the the First Amendment rights for the other side. Right. Well, what I saw, and it's funny I say it, the reason I phrase it that way, because mm-hmm. you heard Oprah three times, that's what you saw? That's what you saw? You know, I wish you'd have prodded them a little differently. Poor Oprah got panned for this. Uh, they said, you know, boy, Oprah, the hope, hope brought no, Oprah brought no hope to the world, you know, because she just kind of seemed to let it just happen. She turned into reporter mode instead of healer. Right. And she just let it How be there. How would you have been the healer in that? Well, in the case of, you know, that's what you saw. Uh, it stunned her that she that they could see KKK and race, you know, obviously we know what the KKK is. I don't have to explain that, how it's a terrorist group. Um, and people trying to speak up for unity as being the same, right? How did you see, how, how is that what you saw? But what was missed there, and I think she could have parsed it if she asked more questions of these Trump folks, is that they weren't defending the KKK, even though some of them may have been. There may have been some genuine, you know, white nationalists in that room. I don't know. But a lot of them weren't so much defending the KKK, but they were defending their guy. They were feeling like you're attacking me because I supported Trump. And so they did see when he said on many sides and it's all and they only heard the parts that seemed like unity. They didn't. They, and, and so and then completely ignored the parts where it's like you just supported a terrorist who got into his car and drove into a group of people to kill them Mm -hmm. so uh or at least to wound them right and so they but you see how that's the disconnect and kill the person heather and that just and that again there's the disconnect and that's where we have to learn and that's where we have to forgive because we have to find a way to say okay this is clearly for you this is not about the kkk this is about us attacking you because we think you're we're attacking your guy trump and it's like a uh, we're attacking what Trump is saying and this point of view. We're attacking the idea of, of equivocation between the KKK and the rest of us. And we're not saying that you're bad because this guy said this. Right. You know, we don't hate you because your guy said this. But they felt that. You could tell that these why folks felt do attacked. They, why do you think that... Um I mean, somebody says, you know, Obama did whatever. And I'm like, yeah, that wasn't good. I mean, I don't feel personally attached. Why why do you think that they're, you know, personally attached to Trump? Yeah, I think anybody, as well as the other other side. I mean, obviously, some folks were personally attached to Hillary or Bernie or anybody else. And so and I've and, you know, we hang out with hardcore advocate types, both on left and right. Mm -hmm. And you've seen it as well as I've seen it. We're a hardcore lefty advocate. You're like, wow, you don't even see how you're being self-destructive to your own cause because you're so adamant about supporting your guy. Right. And so this is not uncommon. And we do this. We get so attached to our guy that we think it's against us and we just have to defend, 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 defend. And so we just go into a defense mode instead of a listening mode. How do you get someone to be curious? I mean, that's the question. And they may not be able to reach it right away. But um, us continuing to poke at them in their, you know, in their wrongness as they perceive it. But do you think that that's what Oprah was doing and poke at them? Because seemed like she was trying to have a discussion and yeah. asking questions. So it was just trying to have a discussion and ask questions now considered poking at them because they're such snowflakes. Yeah, well, I think she was as unprepared. You know, I remember when Obama left the uh, White House, they said, what was the thing that surprised you most? And he says, the partisanship, the tribalism. And I think Oprah was caught off guard 
by this group that Frank Luntz assembled, which may or may not be completely reflective of the uh, of the world, but uh, because they were particularly Frank Luntz did the assembling. Yes. So. Ha. Huh. No, you right, exactly. Didn't say that in the beginning. Right. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Do you know cases are won and lost by voir dire, which is selection of the jury? jury. Yeah. That right there. Yeah. That's that why I yeah, tried to preface that by saying they boiled it down to some of the most, uh, no, you know, he chose. No, you should have said Frank Luntz boiled well, it down. Okay, exactly. If she's not a part of the selection of the jury. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. anyway. No, it's beautiful. And and this this idea of nationalism versus patriotism, uh, this is where we're going to keep going a little deeper on this one because it's a big old sore spot and it's a big disconnect between the two sides. This is Jeff's World. This is Jeff's World, where we feelize our way to a saner future. That's my little word. I don't know if I'm the first person that said it, but uh, I love it. I think I think you are. I'd like to think so. It doesn't matter. I don't take ownership for feelize. things because it was in the ether. It was in the consciousness. I grabbed it. It was probably accessible. To, it was accessible to everybody. I happen to be the one that uses it more often. Who knows? But the idea of feelize is that, you know, realize and feeling your way through it because that's much more important. If you want to get to, again, what we talked about at the top of the show, going forwards versus going backwards. Forwards meaning towards your inspiration, truth, purpose, love, kindness. Um, you have to feelize that. And if you're stuck saying, no, you guys are attacking Donald Trump. No, you guys are supporting the KKK. And, and then it's just emotional mess. Which leads us to the great discussion and one of the things we wanted to hit, which is the difference between nationalism and patriotism. Everybody's going to have their own definition, but it's going to give us to the greater disconnect because in these various issues, which we'll get to the kneel, the stands, the the NFL, um, and other things like it, or Charlottesville, it's not... Uh, there, there's a giant disconnect. We see, we see it. Yeah, everyone's seeing it completely differently, and it's the disconnect that's the problem. It's that because there's already no oranges are orange. So the person's going, no apples are red, and it's like, well, okay, you're both right, you're both wrong, or whatever. Because some apples are green and some oranges are are not ripe. You know what I mean? So you and but the point is, is that they're really not arguing about the same thing. They, they aren't. And, and that's the thing. Uh, these two words, nationalism and patriotism, are often used interchangeably. Yeah. Um, but they, they, are not. they are not. So I looked up a couple of quotes. Oh, um, so Sidney J. Harris, okay. he was a um, he was an American journalist for the Chicago Daily News and the Chicago Sun-Times. And he had a a syndicated column and all kinds of newspapers all over the United States, Canada. And he lived between 1917 and 1986. And he had a definition where he wrote, the difference between patriotism and nationalism is that the patriot is proud of his country for what it does, and the nationalist is proud of his country no matter what it does. Good one. The first attitude creates a feeling of responsibility, but the second, a feeling of blind arrogance that leads to war. Yeah. So I have a couple of other. So do you funny. Want to pause oh, no, there? I was going to say one uh, to add on that. You know, the old country people like to say my country, right or wrong, and they don't they don't read the rest of the quote, which is to write her when she's wrong and to guide her when she's right. And there's a whole not, that's not exactly it, but there's a whole other quote that says right or wrong and fix it and adjust. And if you don't continue to adjust, you're missing the point. And that's you've just demonstrated they they took a half a quote 
from something that is patriotic. Right. And by taking it and, and leaving it, it there, they made it nationalistic. Yeah. Um, George Orwell. <laughs> Can the, always count on George. The author of Animal Farm in 1984. So he wrote, so I'm going to leave out the first part, but he's talking about nationalism. He says, by nationalism, I mean the habit of identifying oneself with a single nation or other unit placing it beyond good and evil and recognizing mm. no other duty than that of advancing its interests. Yeah. He goes on to say nationalism is not to be confused with patriotism. By patriotism, I mean devotion to a particular place and a particular way of life, which one believes to be the best in the world but has no wish to force on other people. Patriotism is of its nature defensive, both militarily and culturally. Nationalism, on the other hand, is inseparable from the desire for power. The abiding purpose of every um, nationalist is to have more and more power. Yeah. So and um, nationalism, again, is going to be derived from fear and victimhood. Because the only way that you would feel a need to hold your nation above others, regardless of what it does, is, is if you were f- afraid that it wasn't actually as great as it was. Because if you knew your country was great, then you would trust in the fact that you would do great deeds and serve the people and humanity great and so well that it would be without above impunity. It would be above criticism. Exactly. Yeah. Um great stuff. There's some really great stuff. So maybe two others. So um, this comes from historian John J. Dwyer from Oklahoma. Okay. And I found it, um, this this writer, he was writing an article. His name is William Grieg, formerly of the John Birch Society. Okay, sure. Okay, so you don't get any more right wing than the John Birch Society. But John J. Dwyer, historian, said... The Patriot says, and if you could see this guy with his cowboy hat on. Yeah, yeah. He says, the Patriot says, I love my country, (laughs) works for its good and defends it if necessary against enemies within and without. He strives and prays not primarily that God will bless his country, but that his country will bless God. Yeah. Wow. That's pretty good. The nationalist, meanwhile, says, my country is better than yours. My country is the greatest there has ever been, the greatest nation on God's green earth. They hate my country because it is so good. I say to my friends who hold high regard of having faith in America and faith in the American ideal, have faith that America doesn't need to be angrily defended at all costs. Have faith that she will be. It's like when people defend God, they feel like you got to stop saying bad things about God. I always say to them, how could I possibly offend God? <laughs> How could if God is love and great and all this that you you know would most definitely define then how could I possibly offend? And so if you see your nation that way as oh no no it ain't perfect but we are a living ideal that is growing and fostering greatness and so I don't need to shoot you if you don't obey it or respect it. Mm-hmm. Right? Because a lot of my folks are like, well, you know, you got to respect it. You got to respect it. You know, the, it, we can jump right into some of the, the flag stuff uh, uh, that went down in the NFL that was just absolutely uh, fascinating. In fact, maybe if I have time, I'll play a little Dale Hansen, who was that uh, 
It's going around the internet. But go ahead, you were going to say something. Well, I was just going to say, so I was, uh, you know, nationalism is is something that can unite people, right? Particularly right. In, in a time of war. That's tribalism, or in a time common of enemy. Crisis. But we're, that's where we have to be careful because yeah. it there's an, with nationalism, <laughs> there is an against. Right. There is an againstness. Right. There you go. We are <laughs> united against those people. Right. Anyone who's not those, us, basically. Anyone, anyone who's not who us. Is not us. <laughs> Whether it's, you know, we women are united against those men. Um, you know, we Europeans are united against those, I don't know, islanders, whatever. So there's an againstness with nationalism. Right. And that's, you know, whereas... Um, you know, there is a time that it it can unite, but also that that same unity. I mean, that's what you saw with Hitler, right? Right. You know, his uniting it works in desperation. under white nationalism. So, yep. um, but patriotism is there. You don't have the againstness there. You right. only you have um, inclusiveness, a love that is you know. That is so great that you are of service to. Yeah. It, it's sort of like the difference between uh, a friend and a sycophant. Right. A friend is the one that's going to tell you, hey, I thought you were a little out of line there. Yeah. And I'm <laughs> saying this because I love you. And then still support them in their evolution. And, and Right. And I'm concerned yeah. And, you know, or, you know, hey, you got a booger hanging out of your nose. Yeah. That's a friend. That's kind of friends. Thank right? you. The sycophant <laughs> is like, oh, no, you didn't have a booger hanging out of your nose. That person who said they're crazy, they're crazy, you know, yeah, or fights there who says is it. nothing you do that's wrong ever. Yeah. You you know, those yeah. people are, are wrong. Yeah. You are it. Yeah. So I think that, you know, and. To me, I know that we're moving on to yeah. um, to to the Colin Kaepernick and and the bending of the knee at the national anthem, which you know, equality and justice for all, and feeling like you know we have not feeling like we have st- speaking out in a in an appropriate, peaceful manner. Um, against the systematic racism that still exists in our country that we see against people who have dark skin, black black skin, brown skin, um, in the police uh, brutality that, that we see that still exists. And so, you know, to me, that is being a patriot. Yeah. Respectfully calling to attention... Um, this isn't, you know, justice for all yet. We have some work to do here. And I'm going to call attention to it because I love this country and um, we can do better. Right. So what is the fear? The fear, beautifully said, uh, the, the fear from that perspective on the kneeling discussion is that I have watched videos, or I am a black person, I have watched videos of black people with unarmed get shot and cops not get busted for it. And that scares the crap out of me. And that is the fear that, that is powering the relief, which is, I'm so frustrated that this isn't being heard, Colin Kaepernick, that I am going to take a, a knee 
And again, he started by sitting, but then he talk, spoke to members of the armed services, and they emphatically said, uh, you know, you should probably kneel. It's much more respectful. And so he made that adjustment because, as you say, he's a patriot in that regard. He made the adjustment to be respectful while simultaneously saying to this country, we need to right her when she's wrong. Mm-hmm. And she is wrong on the justice system right now. Mm-hmm. And the reason that bothers us, certainly in this room, is because we love America so much that we want her to live up to that ideal of unity and equality. We want that if somebody gets shot that's unarmed, they will get a fair trial not based on their you know, condition. And they won't, they won't be terrified to be pulled over because of the prevalence of mistreatment, right? Mm-hmm. So you and I are on the absolute same page on that. So what's happening? Uh, what's the fear coming from the other side who is pissed off? Because, again, you can't be mad or mean unless you've first been scared. They're pissed off at these disrespectful athletes that are kneeling during the anthem. Okay, so I don't want to presume. I'm not. I, I, this is what I'm getting from them because I don't share this fear, but I understand this fear. They but see. But it's not disrespectful. But you're seeing in their opinion. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to. But I'm trying. Okay. I'm trying to give. I'm trying to recreate I'm trying their, to give their. And I may not do it service. Voice. Yeah, I may not do it service. And I apologize in advance okay. for not doing it, its depth. But um, the they look at it like. America, the reason America needs to be made great again is because our republic is on the brink of disaster. And they see their way of life as, again, existential. Their existence is at threat. And when you see everything that you hold dear, meaning your belief in your own country, because being God and country is a powerful force for inclusion in a greater, something greater than yourself. The reason I love God and country is because it reminds me that I'm not just this pinball in a pinball machine that's fighting with other people for a scrap of food. It reminds me that I'm part of something important and big and of evolution and humanity, right? So we love God and country. And when we feel scared... We want to double down on God and country because we want to go back to what we consider the basics, which is if I can, I need to prop up America right now. We need to be more American right now or else this republic will crumble. And so that is what could be more American than freedom of speech. Right. And that's and what could be more American than fight than than make than acknowledging an injustice amongst a portion of our population? What could be more American than that? But. The point is, is when you understand that fear and you say, well, if that's your predominating dominant or, uh, you know, dominant fear, then when someone kneels, you're going to feel like, dude, you're ruining our trying to get our country back. We're trying to reestablish that we have to believe in our country. And one of the moments that is most important to me when I believe in my country is the national anthem. It gives me chills every time. It makes it reminds me that I, that, that, that I am part of this and you're pooping on it by kneeling. I agree. I don't feel that. You don't feel that, Erica Ferriston. But that is somewhat representative. And then. So is it that they are in. So again, is it that they're nationalists and they just see no fault at all with their country that uh, deserves correcting or. Fear can make you nationalistic. Fear can make you tribalistic. Right. And then there are folks on the on the side that we're other side we're talking about the justice side who will become tribalistic. And we'll talk about that when we return, because uh, this is the meat of it. 
you know, uh, and this is that disconnect. And I want to also try to figure out a little bit of forgiveness on both of those so that we can go, okay, I understand why you have that. Okay, so all of that, plus uh, some amazing patriots said some amazing things on these topics uh, with that when we return to Jeff's World. This is Jeff's World, the independent state of mind, where we look at this gorgeous country and all its complicated glory and love her just the way she is. <laughs> Nationalism versus patriotism, I guess, is what it is. I'm Jeff Stein with Erica Ferriston. It was her idea to do this one, and, and I'm just so glad you did, too, because this is... Uh, because really, it is. It's the nationalism versus patriotism is such a major part of this. And, of course, it's woven in our little NFL skirmish. So if you'll indulge me, I want to put on the great Dale Hansen, who's a sports writer slash commentator. We've had him on twice before on the show, actually. Well, Jeff, before you put him on, okay, go. Um, I just want to ask you, do you know um, how long that the NFL football players have been lining up um, during the national anthem before football games? I smell an awesome fun fact. <laughs> I smell an awesome fun fact. Okay, okay, let us let's do that on the other side of Dale Hansen giving us a little context of history. If that's oh, cool, okay. That's what I mean. Just to back us up so we know sure. where we are with this. Former 49ers quarterback Colin Kaepernick takes a knee during the national anthem in San Francisco last year. We noticed, but very few players joined him. Not many players seem to care. He can't get a job in the NFL now, and very few have said much about that either. But the president says he wants that peaceful protest to stop, says those players should be fired if they take a knee during the anthem, and calls those players a name I never thought I'd live long enough to hear a president say, and now everybody cares. Donald Trump has said he supports a peaceful protest because it's an American's right. But not this protest, and there's the problem. Any protest you don't agree with is a protest that should be stopped. Martin Luther King should have marched across a different bridge. Young black Americans should have gone to a different college and found a different lunch counter. And college kids in the 60s had no right to protest an immoral war. I served in the military during the Vietnam War, and my foot hurt too. But I've served anyway. My best friend in high school was killed in Vietnam, and Carol Meyer will be 18 years old forever, and he did not die so that you could decide who is a patriot and who loves America more. The young black athletes are not disrespecting America or the military by taking a knee during the anthem. They are respecting the best thing about America. It's a dog whistle to the racist among us to say otherwise. They and all of us should protest how black Americans are treated in this country. And if you don't think white privilege is a fact, you don't understand America. The comedian Chris Rock says it best. There's not a white man in America who would trade places with him. And he's rich. (laughs) It has not gone unnoticed that Trump has spoken out against the Mexicans who want to come to America for a better life, against the Muslims, and now against the black athlete. But he says nothing for days about the white men who marched under a Nazi flag in Charlottesville, except to remind us there were good people there. And when he finally tried to say the right thing, not one of them was called an SOB or should be fired. We have white men in America who waved the Nazi flag and the Confederate flag, and he's concerned about taking a knee because it disrespects this flag. We use that flag to sell mattresses and beer. We wear it as a swimsuit. We wrap our bald heads in a flag bandana and stick it in our pants because we disrespect that flag every day. Maybe we all need to read the Constitution again. There has never been a better use of pen to paper. 
our forefathers made freedom of speech the First Amendment. They listed 10, and not one of them says, you have to stand during the anthem. And I think those men respected the country they fought for and founded a great deal more than the self-proclaimed patriots who are simply hypocrites because they want to deny the basic freedom of this great country, a country they supposedly value and cherish so much. That's Dale Hansen, WFAA in uh, Texas. He's a commentator in Texas. Hit me, Arco. That was just so beautifully right? uh, articulated. I have n- I'm speechless. I mean, he covered all who the major beats. Who is that man? Yeah, he's the same one who did the commentary we had about transgender and right. other things where it's like, you know. He's not a, is he a sports? He is a sports guy. Well, that's what, was, that's what I thought. Yeah, but now he's become, the, he started doing a couple of these commentators I mean, and people went, dude, Mr. Vietnam veteran, Mr. You know, he's been around, obviously. And they said, keep doing this. When people listen to sports, they hear this guy? Well, he does it as a separate segment. Oh, okay. But that's his primary. Because I'm going to more into sports. I know, right? You might actually like sports. <laughs> Not just your kids fencing. Um, <laughs> but you wanted to uh, tease a statistic about, I think it's the only thing that he didn't cover is, is the... Yeah, so I... So, um you know, this is being portrayed as, you know, this long-standing history that's been so terribly right. violated. Well, This idea it, of standing during the anthem during sporting events. Right. The NFL players did not start standing uh, during the anthem uh, until 2009. When it became yeah, an organized thing, right? After, because the Pentagon paid the NFL tens of millions of dollars to do so in order to help recruitment into the armed services. Before 2009, they just stayed in their locker room during the anthem. So uh, not only is this not a longstanding tradition, um, it's, it's actually one that got started because money talks it, it they were paid to do it in order to recruit more uh, young men and women into the military. Now, in the interest of uh, presenting another perspective, I don't for those hearing that saying, well, that sounds like there you know is a nefarious act by the military, and it's not. Uh, the military obviously has a certain budget that is spent on advertising and recruitment, and so they decided that having the color guard come out and display the old glory and and do a thing with the football team participating would be great for. And and from there, I certainly understand the point of view, God and country point of view, that says, well, that's that's beautiful. The more we can recognize, you know, our country as being something that's important to us, that's good. But then, you know, you make the great point is when it becomes a bludgeon and a test, like a communist test to see if you're communist or a witch tested to your witch, which is, you know, if, if you don't stand during the anthem, then we know you're a witch. You know, that's when, as, you know, Dale Hansen kind of makes the point. That's when it's not it's not it's not for the troops. It's not supporting the troops when you use the national anthem as a way to exclude those who you don't think are as nationalistic enough, mm-hmm. right? Or patriotic enough. You choose your term, but I don't think it necessarily makes a, a difference on that one. You know, the greatest products. This is a side note. Mm. Um, often get out there by attraction rather than promotion. Just saying. Yeah, I know. And then you know, it's funny because I was if reading. You have a, to promote. I was reading just a marketing thing on to, to piggyback on that, and and it, it was all this this high level thinking about the new modern era of social media and how do we get to people, and every single expert said the same thing: "Well, you can't beat word of mouth." 
<laughs> no matter what we do, no matter how good we get at promoting one or commercials or anything, nothing beats gen- basic human interaction with other people demonstrating the story in a way that makes you go, well, I like the way they're saying it. And I like the way they're saying it. You know, so, uh, but, but back to the topic at hand, you know, one of the things that I appreciated that this commentator said was, um, you know, let's not let's not let Trump hijack yeah. what Colin Kaepernick was really standing for. And it was about correcting uh, the racial injustice. A measurable injustice. It wasn't like an that anomaly. That is happening, yeah. um, you know, in this country. So it's yeah. really not about the flag or it's his protest wasn't against the flag. His protest wasn't against the national anthem. It's it's against the systematic racism that we're seeing in our justice system, in our school systems, in our city planning systems, in our banking systems. I I think his was particular with um, the justice system. But um, and and let us remember that while it is wonderful that all these athletes have come together to, I'll say, kneel with Colin Kaepernick um, and thank goodness but Colin Kaepernick still has not been given a job. Yeah. And um, I think that I would love to see these players um, now have a, a demand, if you will, and part of that to be um, hire Colin Kaepernick. Yeah. Because it's, in, and, and it, that's not about Colin Kaepernick uh, mm-hmm. making money, but it's, it's about starting to right these wrongs. Yeah. And he is the one that was kneeling alone. He is the one who doesn't have a job. So so let's come together for something, you know, including that and of course most importantly ending systematic um, racial injustices in this country. Yeah, another fun fact for you. Before Colin Kaepernick knelt during the anthem, some women of the WNBA did. Really? Yeah. That's, it's not, as soon as these things occur, people say, you know, by the way, this isn't the first protest of this kind. And there were some women in WNBA uh, who were doing it already. And for that purpose, for racial justice. So That is awesome. <laughs> anyway, we're going to talk about the patriotic reaction when we get back to Jeff's world. This is Jeff's World. I'm Jeff Stein with Erica Ferriston, where uh, we like to be growing the knowing while keeping the minds blowing. <laughs> uh, so uh, that's my intent, at least. We'll see if we can pull that off. We're talking about the uh, this moment where we're debating nationalism versus patriotism. And I think it is important to remember that if someone goes nationalist on you, which, again, we're defining as somebody who's putting their country as, as right or wrong, no matter what, there is no evil. You have to either be with us or against us. Or their person. I mean, yeah, or right? their person or their right or their candidate or their tribe or their party. Right. You know, it's or the their football game or their religion, football team, or their football team. <laughs> um, and so the other thing that was coming up fascinating to me was. Uh, I saw a lot of my folks who were opposed to these these demonstrations, the kneeling and whatever. And by the way, did you see Monday Night Football, the final culmination of this? Okay, so this was a moment that for those who know sports, and Erica, with all due respect, wouldn't necessarily know this one. Jerry Jones, who's the owner of the Dallas Cowboys, is a, I mean, a big, huge Trump supporter. It gave him a million dollars to the inaugural. So did Bob Kraft of the Patriots and Tom Brady. And they all had to come out and say, yeah, that's divisive. That's not good, dude. You can't say that. Um, but when we were... 
us football type people who also love politics in the anticipation of what Jerry Jones would do. I have to admit, I didn't have a real high expectation because his politics in the past have been pretty much F you, I'm Jerry Jones. <laughs> and that's cool. He's a bit of a narcissist, whatever. You know, we're all in a work in progress. Um, but uh, I don't know whether it was he particularly decided this. He must have. He's the owner. But when they all knelt before the anthem, he made he found a way and they called it a, a, a statement of unity which I believe it was, because he found a way to make everybody right about their disparate beliefs. Because the one side was offended that you mess with the anthem because they feel like, again, they feel like America is in jeopardy and the last thing you want to do is, is, is mess with our belief in America. That will destroy us, they see that as. If you stop respecting America, we'll, then we're completely done. And then, of course, the other side, who's saying this is about our ability to protest when America isn't quite doing it right. And that we, so we can get it corrected instead of just letting it fester. So Jerry Jones did that before and made them both right. Because he, he did, they kneeled before the anthem to respect the anthem and kneeled, not just locked arms, but kneeled to acknowledge that what uh, Kaepernick and others are saying is valid. Mm-hmm. And it was fascinating to watch the Twitterverse, how each side went, see, told you, we're right. And I was like, yeah, OK, cool. That's great. You were both right. But now, see, the, that it was, there was a disconnect more than there was a fight. You were trying to be right about things that weren't even related to each other. Because if you ask an individual, do you think, if you ask somebody who is an America type, do you think black people should be disproportionately killed? They'd say, of course not. And if you ask a person from Black Lives Matter, do you think, uh, you know, it's, it, it, we should respect the flag? They'd say, of course you should. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. They each agree with the other parts, person's part, but they were so busy going, knock that off! <laughs> that they, because they saw it as something completely different. Mm-hmm. And that's why when Oprah kept saying, that's how you saw it? How did you, that's how you saw it? That's how you saw it? Yeah, saw it totally differently. And I love the way that uh, their second topic was, because people were offended, again, by messing with the flag, that they said, why are athletes involved? How are these, you know, what dares them to do that? And, and to answer that, and I want your opinion too, because obviously the famous person thing in general is where we, what we're talking about. Um, but let me play a little Bryant Gumbel because he had an interesting take on this. Finally tonight, a quick thanks to the current occupant of the White House for energizing the social conscience of the modern American athlete. <laughs> that occupant's weekend series of racist, churlish, and childish comments drew a variety of stunning rebukes and actions, which suggest jocks may finally be realizing that apathy won't cut it anymore, <laughs> that in conjunction with their fame, they have important civic roles to play, especially now. Those of us who've long focused on the intersection of sports and society have often wondered what it would take for today's athletes to forsake the path of least resistance and actually stand for something. And now we know. Many suddenly seem not just willing, but also eager to follow in the giant footsteps of Muhammad Ali, Jim Brown, Bill Russell, Billie Jean King, Roberto Clemente, Arthur Ashe, and many others who courageously use their athletic platforms to challenge authority in the pursuit of justice. Back in their day, Bob Dylan famously said, the times they are changing, and that's still true today, as is the sad reality that certain things haven't really changed at all. You know, if I had a dime for every time somebody who has spoken up and been part of the discourse lately saying, hey, I don't want to be involved in this, Mm -hmm. right? Because it's like nobody necessarily wants to, but this is what the area calls for. Jimmy Kimmel has had every time he talks about healthcare, and he's done, and you go on our Facebook page and watch the latest one because it's unfreaking believable. Um, 
He always says, I don't want to be in this discussion, but it's home now. Well, as Howard Zinn once famously said, you can't be neutral on a moving train. <laughs> and this train is moving. Yeah, it, it, it's, yeah. You know, it's interesting, too. Um, so many thoughts. I know, right? Not enough radio I time. I know. But, um, you know, as we saw on Monday night, that the football players, but we saw baseball players, we saw basketball players. I mean, all of these sports coming together in support of what, you know, Colin Kaepernick was calling for. Was and broader, broader rights to speak about injustice. Mm-hmm, justice Period. for all. And, um, and so it's so typical of Trump to be like, well, if they're not going to side me, if they're not going to side with me. So he reaches out to NASCAR, right? right. That's the Remember only that? place left to go is and NASCAR. Yet. And so you had like the, the two biggest NASCAR owners said that they agree with them. And, and then what happens? The biggest, the sport's most popular driver in NASCAR, Dale Earnhardt, Earnhardt Jr., Jr., he tweets out, all Americans are granted rights to peaceful protests. And then he quotes JFK, who said, those who make peaceful revolution impossible will make violent revolution inevitable. inevitable. I love it. And it's great. And but but it also and I know this is for another show, but it makes me wonder about Trump's psyche and Trump supporter psyche who seem to cling on to violence, uh, you know, like like with the KKK that have their violent signs and, and Trump's violent speech that he's often saying, is this where Trump is actually trying to get the country to go to suppress the peaceful revolution in order to have a violent revolution? Because that is what you know, for whatever reason, is yeah. he's aligned with? I mean, I don't know. It's just a question that well, came into my head. I want to answer it. I think that he, like the old expression, if your only tool is a hammer, every problem looks like a, a nail. Right? I mean, look at the violence he talks about, like with foreign yep, affairs and within our tools. own, you know, Americans. Like, rough them up when you arrest. I mean, talk about, you know... Uh, Peaceful protest is is granted by our Constitution unless <laughs> it incites violence. Yeah. Then it is not. I, I mean, Trump has incited violence repeatedly. Yeah. You know what they would do with uh, somebody like that in the old days. They'd take him out and... Remember that when no, he would have true. his rallies? Yeah. He was inciting violence in which people then did remove people and beat the crap out of them. And it, and for the record book, yeah, the Supreme Court has ruled already on several occasions in where a free speech did have limits when it incited the general the danger of the public. So, yeah. Which is why you can't yell yeah. fire in and, a crowded um, theater. Exactly. Yeah. Or a president can't yell, go ahead and shoot those people. I'll, I'll cover your legal fees. You know, y- y- that's going to incite violence. Or a violence. talk show host can't say, you know, somebody should <laughs> go blow take up. care of right, yeah, this yeah. doctor's office. Yeah, yeah. Go bomb an abortion clinic or something, you know. And so, yeah, 
This is how it works, y'all. I mean, this is how we grow. So that's I why guess... I get a big when I when I saw that. I'm sorry to interrupt you. But no, no, I, you go. When I when I saw this happen, when I saw his tweets come out about, in particular, the you know sons of bitches and his rally in Alabama, which is a story we couldn't even get to because that let didn't go well for him because uh, Luther Strange didn't win, Roy Moore did, and oh boy, that's another episode. But the when that happened, I literally asked my wife, danced around the room. Because I was like, when you throw Donald Trump, and that's why Brian Gumble said thank you. When you put that to much, the current occupant, to the current occupant, no, nobody. He and uh, LeBron James, they don't say his name. Uh, the one who, which he's Voldemort uh, on the left. Uh, so, but I was literally grateful too. I'm like, oh. God, thank you. You just made the debate so ramped up and so intensified that it will force people to figure out what the hell they actually believe and why they believe it. Because <laughs> you know, because if you get people people's throats, they, some of them are going to take a minute and go, "Why am I at your throat? Um, and why why does this not feel good? Why do I feel worse about this?" Uh, you know. So and and again. I, I think I want to sort of close with the Oprah thing because she covered uh, a few of these ideas because she started talking to these folks about, you know, where do you think it's uh, going to go? Let me uh, play at least one of these here. By the time of the next presidential election, are we more likely to have come together? Unfortunately, as wonderful as this has been, mm-hmm. I think that we're going to be just as divided. I'm even fearing civil war. Anyways. Okay, you all are nodding your head. She says, I fear a civil war, and you all are nodding your head. Yes. Yeah. We do. I do fear that. I think we're going to be more divided than ever. I'm going to have to agree. I think we're going to continue. We're going to continue on this track of Of being divided. Not hearing each other being being divided. divided. I don't see see a, a light at the end of the tunnel. We do not understand each other, and when we're talking, we're talking different languages, and we're not actually listening Mm -hmm. and understanding each other, and that's causing the divide. These are crucial conversations that need to be had. And they need to be had in Washington. Mm -hmm. And they need to be had in Washington. Washington. They need to talk to each other. They need to cross the aisle, and they need to do what we sent them there to do. We've got to come together and find a way, but I'm hopeful for the future that we can do that, yes. Just sit around this table showing me this tonight. Amen. If people just get a little common sense and settle down a little bit and start talking things out, we can work things out. Yeah, so I think in order to start healing the divide, it starts within oneself. And I think, you know, if you're interested, listeners, start asking yourself the question, where do I have a nationalistic attitude? And by that, you know, meaning I am upholding something to be on, you know, that it is the most right, the most good, there's nothing flawed with it, it doesn't deserve any questioning, there's no fixing. Strength of conviction over, again, curiosity of wisdom. Yeah. Where am I doing that in my personal life? Am I doing that with my spouse? Am I doing that with my children? Am I doing that with my neighbor? Am I doing that in my political views? And how can I be more patriotic? You know, how can I look at something as like a true friend word and be like, ah, you know, these things, I love this, but I see some errors. I I see some, not errors, I see some opportunities for growth. I see some things that, you know, concern me. How can I address those? How can I, uh, you know, question things that I previously didn't question? So that's where I think we can start is by looking at ourselves, asking ourselves those questions and 
seeing what happens. Please listen to uh, what Erica just said there and do ask that question because if you're if something's coming up, if you're feeling angry, pissed off or whatever, it's you. I'm sorry, it's you. <laughs> you got to look inward and ask the question she just asked. And when that group was just talking about how uh, they feel like we're in a civil war. Well, good. We've we've first acknowledged that it doesn't feel good. And there is, and I don't know how to talk to these other people. And then as Erica points, you have to first start talking to yourself. You got to figure out what is making you so scared or you're not going to be able to help and be able to relate to anybody else. And you notice the other thing they said was, you know, they need to come together and talk in Washington and stop fighting. Well, guess what? The only way that's going to happen is if we do. Washington reflects us. Donald Trump is a reflection of our narcissism. We, he didn't, he, these aren't forces. Congress and Trump didn't come in and force this upon us. They were an extrapolation of our inability to listen to those wise words that Erica just said and ask these questions. Who are we? Why are we here? How can I serve that purpose? What do I want and why do I want it? Not just how and when and whether it's on my team or your team. Thank you. Thank you for considering this. Please, as Erica says, hit us on Facebook or Twitter. And with any questions or thoughts or things you want to comment on, you want to pontificate, hit us. Tell us if you want it to go on the show. Uh, We love it. This is why we're doing it. Our political soul is going to be based on whether or not you're evolving in yours, too. So we want to evolve all together. And thank you for listening. Thanks, Juan. Thanks, Erica. This has been Jeff's World. This has been Jeff's World the social, political, pop-cultural discussion show that looks at life through the rose-colored eyes of the almost criminally optimistic Jeff Stein.